This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, and thank you, Mr. Kelly, for that uh, news brief. I actually started saying 60 because I wanted you to feel better because I know how you don't like the cold. So that was for you. Well, thank you I meant much. to do that. Yes. Well, thanks. Yeah. You know, it's uh, the cold is so boring. That's the problem with it. The trees get really scary looking, at least deciduous trees. And the evergreens say, look at us. Maybe you want more evergreens in your landscape. Welcome, folks. Second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trowel shortly, but right now you can give a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 and get in line for your questions, comments, or concerns. Uh, Greg took a a phone call off air, and the gentleman was concerned about using Roundup. And with any kind of herbicide or any chemical that you're using, whether it's medication, herbicides, fungicides, or anything else, If you follow the label, you know, I know there's these big lawsuits and everything else going on, but uh, just, I mean, it's your, it's a personal choice. I mean, systemics, they they have to be somewhat tough and strong because you're killing not above, only the above ground growth, you're getting down into the root systems, getting rid of that. So the choice is yours, but if you are going to use anything, regardless, even if it's an organic product, still follow the label. Exact. Don't guess. Don't just say, well, it says put, let's say, two teaspoons in a gallon. Don't say, well, glug, glug, glug. Well, that's probably two teaspoons. Follow the label. That's, that's what it's all about. So anyway, thanks for having me on your show. You can give a call, and we can talk about plant selections, the up and down and all around. This past week, last Wednesday, I you know, sort of tossed all my tropicals, all my annuals and everything else into the yard waste you know, dumpster, which is in the alley. So some of them were still looking pretty good. Some of them were starting to show some frost damage. And I thought, well, let's just get rid of them all at once so I don't have to, you know, fool around with them. We, I did leave my moonflower vines growing. They got frost damage. So, but for Halloween, they were perfect. I mean, scary black and droopy and all that other stuff. But anyway, the rest of bulbs, I, as I said before, I finished planting all my spring flowering daffodils and tulips. Edibles, you know, how's your garden going as far as the cool season things? We were at a place yesterday, Tracy and I, a grocery store, and I couldn't believe, now this is just my own personal opinion, you know I don't like onions, but how many people were buying giant stalks of Brussels sprouts? I mean, woo, wow, what do you do with those things? Anyway, ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines, your water gardens. Water gardens minimize the amount of leaf debris that's going to get in there, especially if you have fish, because as the leaf debris gets in your water garden, if you have fish, that could become somewhat toxic for them, and your fish may not survive. So put some kind of netting. 
get all the leaves out of it first, then put some netting over the top of it to keep the leaves from falling into it. I'll share my thoughts. Always remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but offered as an option for you to consider. Greg's producing, so he's two hours in a row. Wow. But anyway, during the week, I do landscape consulting where I come to your yard and we can discuss questions that you have. I'll keep my eyes open for things that may be causing problems that you didn't even consider. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. In the homepage, my email address and phone number is listed where you can contact me. I call that a walk and talk. As I said in the first hour, I'm going for a walk and talk up in Florissant today. And um, what I do is I share 40-plus years of experience related to your home's landscape, plants, care, maintenance, and all that other stuff. And today, a special recognition, that's the tip of the trial for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial today goes out to all the veterans. There are a lot of us out there. There are a lot of veterans that did a lot more, you know, regardless if it was during a war circumstance or anything else. Just the safety of knowing that we have well-trained military, regardless of what the circumstance is, is crucial to our nation's health, to our nation's vigor, and to everybody else. So the tip of the trial goes out to all the veterans out there. My father was a veteran. He was a Navy guy. He tried to pressure me to go into the Navy. I said, nope. I'm not going in the Navy. That's not the way I want to go. But anyway, he was a member of the AMVETS and everything else. I'm kind of not so much into you know groups or clubs or stuff. But uh, AMVETS, I'm sure, still have organizations throughout the metropolitan area. And uh, boy, oh boy, like I said, tip of the trial goes out to all the veterans, regardless of what branch of the service they were in. Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, to the phones we go. We're head out to Dardine Prairie into Chester's yard. Hi, Chester. Hello, Mike. Hi. <clears throat> Mike, my problem is I have a zoysia lawn that's being overtaken by some type of water grass. What can I do? Uh, water grass meaning like nut grass, nut sedge? It, uh, it's not nut sedge. It's, it, it looks like it's... Uh, is it dark green? It, it, it is. It is dark green, and it's outgrowing the zoysia. Yeah, probably what it is is an annual bluegrass. And so using a pre-emergent, that's the best thing you can do. Applying the pre-emergent uh, sometime in mid to late August, that's the best way to get rid of it. Okay. And it's going to take a couple years. You're not going to get rid of it in just one application, and okay. especially if it's prolific. It's, it's prolific. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, because, I mean, the annual bluegrass is pretty darn tough because it, it's an annual, so what it does is it grows all through the wintertime, you know, late fall, all that other stuff. And then when the zoysia becomes a little bit more vibrant, the annual bluegrass just it disappears, but it's dropped lots of seeds, and that's consequently what happens every year, why it keeps coming back and back and back. So good luck, Chester, with that. And also, you know, coloration, you know, Following that up with some uh, composting will help get your soil in better shape, which will help get your zoysia in better shape as well. And then fertilizing your zoysia, May, June, July, August, and maybe even September with a fertilizer. I would get a soil test done, find out what your soil is all about, and that way you can get a fertilizer specifically what your soil needs. And now let's stay out in St. Charles and go from Dardine Prairie to St. Charles. That's where Nancy lives. Hi, Nancy. Hi. Hi. 
Well, I, what I wanted to know about, how do you treat fungus in the lawn that you have, you know, okay, this is what happened. I have a, a lawn care that comes out just to fertilize and and to put weed control down, mm-hmm. and I'm ashamed to admit that this was in July. They left this message. I'm usually not home, and half the time I don't read the messages, but he said he noticed the disease activity, and this application might help it. If it doesn't, then two fungus or fungi treatments is what I would use. Well, I didn't do anything about it, and it's still there. So how would I treat that, or when should it be treated? Uh, Basically, this is a time of year when you don't want to treat anything like that. It's too late. It's not going to be effective. But, uh, you know, if you've, if you've been happy with the way this lawn service has treated your lawn, I would just go ahead and let them control when, it's, when it needs to go down. Because, I mean, to say a specific calendar date is not really all that good because you know how our weather changes month to month. So if it's a fungus problem, then just let them go ahead, tell them you want to have this, you know, treated. But realize also what a fungicide does, it just controls, you know, the sort of the spread of it, but it's not going to necessarily enable the areas that have already been killed off by a fungus to actually infill themselves. So it's going to involve a whole process of overseeding if you have bluegrass or if you have fescue, as well as all that other stuff related to it. So once a spot is killed with fungus, that area is not going to recover and start growing new blades just because the fungus has been controlled. Okay, so then they'll have to start all over and put seed down or exactly. whatever. Exactly. And start all over. Either seed or sod. Okay. Well, how can you tell? Well, I guess I have to depend on them to know because well, my, my well, back lawn, part of it is looking bad now. Bad Now, I have zoysia in the back. I mean, this was all here when I moved here mm-hmm. some years ago. So it's zoysia in the back, but there's rather a large patch that I know zoysia gets brown you in, know, the winter. in the winter time, right. but I don't know. This just looks different. So I guess I should have them take a look at that. You can do that, or also what you can do is if you want to just get a second opinion is go out and right where it's transitioning from whatever's brown, regardless of where it is, to where it's green, cut out about a six-inch square of that, and take it to your favorite garden center so they can see the transition point because they can look down in there and they can tell you, this is zoysia decline, this is fungus, this is something unrelated to either one of those things. So that way you can have some information behind you. So the garden center should be able to tell you, you know, a year-round garden center, again, not the big box things, where they've got staff members that know about this and have them take a look at it. Okay. So there's nothing really I can do about it now. I wait till spring. Is that right, right, exactly. Any kind of fungicide, any kind of thing you're going to do now is going to be potentially a waste of time, effort, money, and everything else. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your help. Sure. And I'll stay in St. Charles County and go to Defiance, and that's where John lives. Hi, John. Hi. How are Hi. you today? Good. I got a question about our a window for side placement. And then my second question is about doing some dormant seeding for next year. Well, basically, as long as the garden centers have the sod, you can probably get it down. But just make sure that you prepare your soil before you lay the sod. So in other words, just don't go out there and rake it and drop the sod in place because that's not what you need to do. If if you have classic, you know, clay soil, heavily compacted, you're going to have to have that soil worked up. 
either by yourself, rotor tilling, spading, you know, if it's just relatively small, you know, spaces. And because laying sod down on compacted soil surface, it'll never root well and it'll never survive the wintertime or the heat of the summertime next year. And dormant seeding, and so in other words, you're talking about throwing out seed in the middle of winter and the snow and all that other stuff, that doesn't work. Yes, sir. Yeah, that doesn't work. I've never really, people, you know, say that it's just like putting lime on your lawn. Those are the kind of things that for some reason have been passed on generation, generation, and they're truly not all that good because you throw the seed out and okay, in the snow or not the snow or whatever else, the ground is still really, really cold. And if your yard is not nice and flat, then the seed before it germinates, which is not going to germinate until the ground warms back up. It you know, could end up who knows where, down in your neighbor's yard, down in a creek, down in who knows, you know, you just don't know where it's going to go. Okay. So the window is still there for putting down sod. Yes, as long as the garden centers carry it, then you should be safe putting it down. Okay, thank you very much. Yep, good luck with that. And now let's go to come back a little bit east to Wildwood. Christy, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Good. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, love your show, by the way. But um, I planted some tulips in a pot also. Can I keep those in the garage? It's a cold, dark garage over the winter and bring them out in, say, February and put them out? Uh, you could do that, but uh, why not just leave your pot outside? I'm afraid the squirrel's going to dig them out. <laughs> what do you think? If I put them on my deck, I don't know. <laughs> I think the whole idea that squirrels dig up stuff, squirrels dig where the digging is easy. But if your tulips are down in the pot like four or six inches, that's how deep they should be at least, a squirrels never dig down that deep. Okay. When you look at a squirrel where he's planted an acorn, it's like one inch deep. Squirrels don't, I've never seen a squirrel, you know, let's say walking around, hopping around, running around with a giant tulip bowl. I don't even know if they could get them. Okay, but what about the little bitty ones that you plant, like maybe four inches down? I forgot what I planted on top of my. It could, you, know, you could have planted crocus. You could have planted snowdrops. You know, there's lots of different things. But for the most part, I've, I just don't see anything squirrels planting over an inch deep. And okay. they're, what they're drawn, they're certainly drawn to, let's say, potting mixes. But have you ever seen a squirrel up in your pots? I. I I don't. Oh, I feed the birds out here, so I get a lot, <laughs> a lot of uh, activity. But now I do have a. It was called a frost-proof uh, pot. Is that going to be okay to keep it out there over? I just read where those bulbs could freeze if it gets too cold in pots, and that you have to put insulation around them. Well, I've been doing planting bulbs in pots, leaving the pots out, you know, all winter long for twenty plus years. One year, I did have some of the bulbs that froze. Okay. But uh, I'm not saying that you won't have that. I mean, you live way out there in Wildwood. No, I just don't think, that, you know, I've just had good luck with doing it. There's going to be years when things don't work so well. But even in the ground, there's going to be years when things don't work so well. The bulbs could come up, and then it could be a really hard freeze, and then the, there they go. Okay. All right. Well, I'll stick them out back out on my deck then. All right. <laughs> I appreciate all of your advice and good knowledge. Well, great. Well, thank you. And I just speak for personal experience. And that's why a lot of things, you know, I mean, 
you can learn intellectually, but until you've actually done it yourself, you don't know. And um, it's just, I've had great luck within the pots. And I've probably have, starting off, like I said, about 12 or 14-inch pots. And the number of pots I have with, uh, let's say, daffodils or tulips in, and I have uh, three or four pots or window boxes with uh, grape hyacinths, I probably have 20, maybe not 20. 15 pots of stuff planted and sticking around in my landscape. So thanks, Christy. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Come back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, let's head over to Edwardsville and go into Larry's yard. Hi, Larry. Good morning. Hi. Uh, I've got a question about tree roots showing above the ground. Mm -hmm. Does it hurt to cut them? Cut them off yes. any time of year? It hurts any time you cut them off. I mean, because you have to understand, you cut off those surface roots, what that does is lead to the, you know, basically where the feeder roots are, are at the end of that root. Then you're going to reduce the amount of, let's say, nutrients and moisture that the feeder roots can send back to the tree, and then consequently it could impact the surface, you know, not only the above ground surface or, you know, quality of your tree. So it's not advisable to do that. I know a lot of people do it, and I've told this story recently, too. A guy down the street, between the sidewalk and street, down the street from me, there's surface roots, you know, because that's kind of a tight area, and he's out there burning them all the time. I thought, good grief. But it could, maybe you'll get by without doing any kind of damage, but it's not advisable to do it. I've, I've already in the past, uh, I've had... Uh Downspot drain run underground, mm-hmm. and I had to dig it up. It was clogged up, and, right. and cut. It went right by a tree, and I had to cut roots off to put in a new pipe, and mm. it, it didn't seem to affect the tree then. Well, it's just you know, overall, it's not a good thing to do. Trees are tough, they're, especially if they're healthy right now. But if we, you know, if they hit a situation where they're not quite as healthy, something like this, reducing the root mass, you have to understand that stuff underneath the ground and above the ground are about equal as far as their massiveness goes because they help each other. The nutrients and moisture come up from the roots. They are sent up to the leaves. The leaves use sunlight to make food, and then it sends it back down to make the roots healthier and make the tree overall healthier. Okay, all right. Well, thanks for your advice. Sure, and it's like I said, it's your personal choice. If you want to cut them, that's, that's up to you. It may not do any damage at all, but, uh, you know, it could. Uh, you know, the other option is just to cover. If you don't like them, cover them up with mulch or, you know, have a ground cover growing there, and that way you won't see them. Let's go from Edwardsville to South County into Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hi, Mike. Good Hi. morning. I got a couple questions. Uh, I got a Bradford pear tree i'm thinking about getting it cut back a little bit trimming it mm-hmm. there are a certain time of the year it's best to have a tree trimmer come out and cut that back basically with deciduous trees anytime during the winter time so once the foliage you know yours is probably just now coloring up i don't know if it's fully color you know colored but when the foliage starts coloring or when the leaves are dropping you've got all that time until the new growth begins the following springtime so you got a couple months Okay, that sounds good. And uh, jumping back to honeysuckle, I got a lot of it in the back of my yard. Some of it's uh, six, eight feet high. Right. I was thinking about cutting it off about the four feet level. Would would uh, would it spring back? Oh uh, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Okay. All righty. That's uh, 
that was my two questions for today. Great. Yeah, the honeysuckle, I mean, maybe every stump that you, let's say, or, you know, trunk or heavy-duty branch that you cut off, it may not produce growth. But for the most part, they can, I mean, they're tough, like I said. Yeah, some of these branches are two, two and a half inches in diameter. Right. So the growth coming back is going to be like small, willowy, twiggy stuff, but uh, it should be, you know, it's you're not going to kill it by just cutting it back. Let's put it that way. Okay. That, that, that's, uh, that's good, because after you were talking earlier with somebody about the root system holding the ground in place. Right. So um, I was thinking about even going that way, but I go, whoop, that doesn't sound like a good idea. <laughs> you just, you never know. I mean, anything in the outdoors, I mean, I could be full of it, but uh, just logically, it just doesn't make sense to, you know, to remove something and not put something back in its place. So thanks, Jim. Now let's go down to Perryville and into Gordon's yard. Hi, Gordon. Hello, how are you? Good. Uh, here's my problem. I have a small home, a cabin in southeast Missouri. About 15 years ago, ladybugs, some people call them Japanese beetles, invaded the place by the thousands and thousands. And uh, he, I can sweep up every week a gallon bucket full of ladybugs and vacuum them off the windowsills. And it starts in late September, early October, and they pretty much go away in January, early February. How do I get rid of them once and for all? Because you cannot imagine there are thousands and thousands of them. Well, they're, ladybugs and Japanese beetles are two different things. So They look like ladybugs. Okay, so then they are ladybugs. What they do is, historically, they go back to the same place to breed. So if what happens, your house, for whatever reason, they're always going back to that very same place to do this. And the house I was talking about, the house I had in Webster, one of the, north, one of the walls on my house basement, which was you know part of the basement was exposed because I had a walkout basement, it would have hundreds, I don't want to say thousands, but hundreds of Japanese, or hundreds of ladybugs there. And I'll say thousands. Yeah. I mean, a gallon bucket a week. Yeah, there's not really too much you can do. They really don't do any damage or aggravating as far as the numbers go, but they don't really harm anything. And actually, their larvae, their babies, help control aphids and other, let's say, damaging type insects. But I don't know of anything that there's not a trap that I know of, like with the Japanese beetles, there's traps you can hang, which help get rid of them. But with the ladybugs, I don't know of anything specifically. What you could do, though, is call the conservation department or county, you know, county extension in your, the county where this house is and tell them that this is what's happening and see what they advise. Yeah, well, they start every year in late September, early right. October. And then sometime around January, I sweep them up for the last time, and they're gone until next September. Right, because they've already laid their eggs, and, I mean, the eggs hatch, and, you know, the aphid lions, that's what the baby ladybugs are called. Then, you know, they morph into adults, and, you know, they go back to the same place. So they're, they're just returning because of, let's say, genetics. It's more or less like monarch butterflies head south, hummingbirds head south, lots of different things migrate towards the south. And I'm not saying they're going back to the very specific tree or whatever, but that's what the ladybugs are doing. They're going back for whatever reason. Genetically, it's bred into their brain. All right. 
All right, thank you for your time. Sure. So, again, county extension agent or the conservation department, give them a call and see what they may recommend. So thanks, Gordon. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got about 12 more minutes of the Garden Hotline. Then at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Bob Richards and Andy Smith. 11 o'clock, KMOX Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. Rick Edelman Show at 1 o'clock. 3 o'clock, The Business of Family Business. And at 4 o'clock, the KMOX Auto Show with Greg Damon. That's the lineup for the rest of the the till four o'clock past four o'clock obviously althea lives in jennings althea how are you today hi hi i would like to know about three weeks ago you uh someone asked you about cotton like material on their tree and i think you said just to spray it right it could be cotton aphids it could be several different things you know like little kind of kind of cotton balls Okay, I want to know, is it contagious? Well, they're insects, so they will breed. They will, you know, so it's not a disease, you know, if, if I'm remembering what I, you know, was talking about. Cotton aphids is a bug, like, and it does damage to the, you know, to the trees by eating leaves and stuff like that. Well, no, it's just on the trunk, but I've Oh, okay. It. So then this stuff, those are lichens, those are mosses. They don't do any damage at all. Just leave them. Okay, is Dawn good for spraying them? I, you, don't bother. I mean, why bother? It doesn't hurt the tree. It's not doing any damage at all. Oh, okay. So there's nothing wrong with having mosses or lichens or things like that growing on your tree trunk. Okay, another question. I'm trying to create a patio on my uh, lot here I have behind my house, mm-hmm. and I'm interested in buying garden equipment. Years ago, you used to have a trading station. I'd like to know, are you still having that? No, they don't do that anymore here at KMOX. Oh. Okay, well, it was a good show, and, well, if can I get my number? Well, there's nobody that's, you know... We really don't do that. So best thing to do is just go online and see if you can find, you know, what you're looking for. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Well, thanks, Althea. Yeah, sorry. I, you know, I was thinking cottony aphids. I wasn't thinking about lichens and mosses and stuff growing on the tree trunk. And they don't hurt the tree trunk whatsoever. So don't worry about that. Let's go from Jennings, not too far away, actually to Florissant, where I'm headed right after the show today, only going into Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Coming out here, huh? Yes. All right. Hey, uh, I've got a poinsettia. It's been outside all through spring and summer, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it was growing. But it was just doing fine, and now it's a little droopy. Should I bring that in the house now? Is it too cold? Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. It may. If it's too droopy, it may have already had cold damage, so bring it inside. If it doesn't perk up, just make sure what you do is just look at the inside of the pot. When the potting mix shrinks away from the pot a little bit, water it thoroughly, and then don't water it again until the potting mix shrinks away from the inside and see if it perks back up because the foliage may have been damaged by the cold, and then consequently it doesn't necessarily going to fall off, but it doesn't recover from the wilting. Will it, uh, will it make it in the basement for a while? Uh, in total dark by itself, no. Okay, I got to keep it out, out uh, in the house. Yes. and okay. I mean, the basement would be fine if you got a nice bright window. Now, as far as changing the bracts to the reds or whatever, 
that you know historically is known with poinsettias. That's you know a whole process of half a day of light, and then half a day of dark. So that's what you're looking at. Okay, thank you. Yep. And now let's go to O'Fallon, Illinois, into Sherry's yard. Hi, Sherry. Hi. I have a chrysanthemum that I am going to try to get through the winter. My mm-hmm. grandson gave it to me for Mother's Day, and it's blooming now. It's about five feet across, and it goes up a rail, and it has hundreds of blossoms on it. Um, what do I do with it? Now, this is a chrysanthemum? Yes, I, my husband, my grandson got it for me at Deerberg's for Mother's Day in just a little pot, and it's it's huge, <laughs> and it has hundreds of blossoms on it, still in full bloom. Right. So I've been covering it up. It's one of those show ones. It's not a hardy one. So, so I'd like to try to winter, bring it in, but I don't know how to do it. Basically, what you need to do is I would get it in as soon as you possibly can because if this is not a hardy variety, then even covering it up, it's going to get cold enough where, you know, I don't know what you're covering it with, but the cold is going to damage it. Right. So, you know. Do I cut off all of these long branches? Um, and how far do I cut it back? And do I put it in a dark place? Or no, a light no, place? just, you know, treat it like a house plant. Okay. So, in other words, cut it off so you can move it around. And get it inside easily. Leave the stems. You got to have stems. You got to have leaves on those stems, you know, to make it so it can be healthy enough to survive the winter time. And do I water it then? Oh do yes, it? just okay. like I was telling the gentleman with the poinsettia. Watch okay. the inside of the pot. As soon as it shrinks and there's a little gap there, then water it. Okay, and near light. Uh, light as bright as you can possibly give it. Okay, and what about the? Uh, I've got another large geranium, and I was going to try to bring that in, or is it worth it? Uh, You can bring them in. My grandmother just kept her geraniums year after year after year after year. So that was, you know, her choice. If, you know, if you want to fool with it, yes, if it doesn't have any sort of significant value. But they're pretty tough and durable, too. They can come inside and grow as houseplants. A lot of times what will happen, though, is they'll end up losing all the lower leaves that are closest to the ground, or, you know, close, you know, the low, let's say it's a foot long, it'll lose all maybe eight inches worth of leaves off that stem, but then you'll still have some leaves left that'll keep it healthy. Then when you put it outside next spring, you can cut those stems back, you can actually root the cutting, and then just you should have some new growth come off the stems as well. And I thought I heard somebody say one time, you can put them in a garage or something and not water them at all and don't let them near light. Is that correct? You can try doing that. Sometimes that works because they have such a huge stem, they'll just more or less go through dormancy. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Okay. Okay, well, I will give this a shot and see what happens. Great, sounds good. Thank you. Yep, good luck, Sherry. And now let's go to St. Charles and into Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Oh, yes. Good morning. Hi. Um, I have some questions about bulb planting. I have a big order coming. It's already being shipped and I'm ready to go, but I don't know really what to do. Um, I'm the person that two years ago called about, you know, made my seedlings out of the Patriot tomatoes and planted them in hay. And you're like, well, that's great, but why would you ever do that? Well, we don't have any ground space. So what I'm going to do is what you have to luck with, which I've never had luck with, and that is putting my bulbs what do you think? A 30-inch by 7 by 7 trough 
times three, hanging over a second-tier balcony. Or not a good idea because they're just going to get froze and they're up in the air. Or is that okay? I would say give it a try. You know, just make sure that, you know, whatever you're, you know, going to plant these bulbs in, that there, you know, there is a drainage hole that since it's close, since it's this way, make sure once you get them planted that you water them very well. Then during the wintertime, uh, you're probably not even going to have to water because it sounds like it may snow or rain or whatever, you know, onto the potting mix and just kind of go from, you know, just give it a shot. I grow, you know, a lot of bulbs in window boxes. It sounds like they're even smaller than the ones that you have. Oh, oh, I'm so impressed. Okay, well, um, they, they said to use a clay pot, and I was going to go to all the trouble of uh, getting out into my egress window and, you know, have hanging baskets, and I have the moss liner. I have the trough for the moss liner and a 10-by-12-inch pot, and, um, and I, I was going to put all this, the liner and the pots, in the egress window, cover with a... Um, like a frost blanket, and then six, eight inches of hoe. Uh, I'm sorry, hay. It would be called hay. And um, so you're thinking, they said, there's no guarantee. They right. have to remain dormant, and they don't guarantee hanging over the balcony in a hanging basket on the pots and the porch. <clears throat> and they don't, well, so, uh, and then they also said, I have to have uh, black soil, all dirt. And I uh, go to Ace Hardware, they went $7.99 for 17 quarts. Um, so I'd need like over 50 bucks, but I went to a seed company. I'm getting some loamy, uh, I guess, uh, Missouri bottom, um, soil from the river. Is that okay? I grow mine in potting mix. I don't like anything that's soil that's heavy because sometimes that holds too much moisture and bulbs have to have very, very good drainage. So I use potting mix that I've continued to use the same potting mix for decades. Okay, they say it should be unamended, alkaline, and organic. Can you give me a brand? No, I can't because I don't even know what they're talking about. Alkaline, that means, you know, like salty. So why would you – that doesn't matter. I don't understand, you know, this is obviously a bulb company, so they're telling you to do it this way. But I don't think – I think they're making it way more complicated than it needs to. I put like a couple inches of, let's say, rock in the bottom of my pots. Then I fill a potting mix up to about where, depending upon the bulb, you know, four or six inches deep. I put the daffodils or tulips at the depth that they need to be. Then just backfill all the way up to about within one or two inches of the top of the pot. Water it. Then just leave it sit. That's all I do. Okay. Well, that's going to be a lot less work than climbing (laughs) in and out of my egress window. And I'm just going to do it that way. Okay. I don't know if we have time for one more question or not, but... No, you don't. I mean, unless you do it very fast. Red maples, common ground, not mine. Um, uh, Planted in February, March, never really seriously been watered. And I have gone out to the one closest to us, our house, you know, one time. I'm sorry, Carol, we're going to have to run. So, all right. Just, you know, what thanks, you know, I'll be here next week. So, anyway, thanks to everybody for calling in. Greatly appreciate it. And have a great Veterans Day. Mike Miller, KM Wash Garden Hotline. See you next week. The Voice of the Blues. News Radio 1120, KMOX. KMOX HD, St. Louis. 102.5 KEZK. HD3, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.